If you will, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. What a, what a great song of, of transition to our word this morning. Um, as we turn to Daniel 4 and continue our series in, um, in Daniel, as we consider what it looks like to live in Babylon, to live in a place that is opposed to the God of heaven, to, that is opposed to, to Yahweh, the God of the scriptures that we, that we build our lives on. I think about um, some recent changes in my own life that have taken place. Uh, my family and I recently moved to a new house that has a little more grass and less concrete in the neighborhood. And one of the things that comes with that, I was full aware of this, um, is poison ivy, right? And so we wore served day t-shirts today um, on the platform to remind you of the event next week. But I was real thankful and I was very tempted to wear shorts because... I've taken on a case of the poison ivy on my legs, and it's irritating, right? If you've had it, or if you've had some type of, of skin rash, you know that everything in you wants to do the exact opposite of what your doctors and all of the websites tell you should do to treat your poison ivy. Um, scratching the itch is the worst possible thing that you can do to solve your situation. And I, I tell you this story um, because I believe that the, the scriptures teach us in Daniel 4 um, something that is quite opposite to that reaction, quite opposite to that, that wisdom that we come from. Um, I also want to point you to Jeremiah 29 um, to catch this vision a little bit. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Just listen as I read these, these words from the prophet Jeremiah. And I want you to hear the itch that Jeremiah had to scratch. Jeremiah 29, he says, I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name. He's speaking about the Lord. He's saying, if I try to hold it in, he said, if I won't mention his name or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones, I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. That is an itch that we must scratch as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, right? That we must proclaim that which has burned inside of us. And as we turn to Daniel chapter 4, um, we see a story of someone else who has something that he can't hold back. That for much of his life, there was a lot of turmoil and inconsistency. There was a lot of, of wisdom that he didn't follow but in Daniel 4, we see a, a shift in that attitude. We're going to see the story of a man who has encountered God, who has witnessed his power, who has witnessed his work in the world, and who has experienced it not from a distance, but personally, right down to his bones. The last time I was here with you, um, sharing from Psalms in our July series, I told you a little bit about my story that I grew up um, in, a, in a family that didn't go to church. And so my idea of God was very distant from the idea of the God of the Bible. And so I want to share another little glimpse of my story with you as we get into Daniel 4. Um, I had a conversation this last week with one of my, my brothers, my younger brother. And what the Lord is doing in his heart is exactly, I, I tell you, almost to the phrases that I used when I was in eighth grade, when I began to hear the gospel in a church. I saw the world around me, 
And I said that the problems in the world, the problems in my life, this was all of the chaos of the people around me. And the solution to that, my prideful, arrogant, misdirected solution to that problem was I want to distance myself from all the people in my life. I looked at the problem and I thought, well, if I can remove myself, they're the problem, I can be my own solution. Well, it didn't take long visiting the church, reading the scriptures, and the Spirit began to speak to me and show me that even if I distanced myself, there was a problem inside of me. There was a, a brokenness and a wickedness that I didn't have a solution for. I had nothing. I was hopeless. I had no power within myself to make a change. And then I heard the preaching of the Word of God that there would there was a power outside of myself in the person of Jesus Christ that transforms lives and brings forgiveness of sin that we can be changed. I share the story about my brother, um, and, and he was, um, would, not be, um, would not be opposed to me inviting you to pray um, as God speaks and draws him to himself. Um, but there's something inside of him, much like Jeremiah, much like my itch to scratch the poison ivy that says, I need God. I need to proclaim the truth of who he is. And so as we jump into Daniel 4, um, Daniel 4 and 5 is, is a, a rather lengthy passage, and so I want to, um, to quickly move through it and share some comments with you and, and share with you what it means in the Christian life to, to let go and to scratch the itch of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ freely. Daniel chapter 4, follow with me. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to take this a few lines at a time. We'll pause and I'll, I'll keep you keep you in track of where we are. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar. I'll stop there already to tell you that this is the only chapter where King Nebuchadnezzar is speaking from the first person. This is written from the king's perspective. This king has authority over all of his lands. He has absolute power. And not only does the writer of Daniel, but God has instilled in his word some message from this king that I think that we ought to listen to, that we ought to pay attention to, that he wants us to hear. And so listen as we continue reading. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth. Who is he speaking to? Who is the audience of King Nebuchadnezzar? He's on his throne. He says, I have the authority and I write to every person. Not just to those in his small area of influence within his palace or within his nobles, but those of every people, nation, and language. Every human should hear this message. Let's continue reading. May your prosperity increase. I'm pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. This is the king of Babylon, and he says that the pleasure of his heart is about to be contained in this message that he's about to communicate and that it is to lift up and share with you about the miracles and wonders that the Most High God has done for him. It is a testimony and a proclamation of God, of the character and nature and the interaction that he has had with him. So, we continue reading. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. This is what kings do, right? 
He's flourishing in his palace. He sees himself as the supreme authority. And as we continue reading, I'll summarize for you, he has a dream. And what is his response to that dream? We see this throughout the book of Daniel, right? The dreams that God speaks often, often call a response of terror from those who, who see them. So it terrifies him. So what's the king's response? What does he do when he sees a terrifying dream? He calls for the, as we know, not-so-wise wise men. He calls for the wise men, and they come in, and they prove to be useless once again. And so, once the wise men have exhausted their resources, he then calls Daniel, right? Daniel, who is, is the chief of the wise men. He has a little bit of a reputation. And then something else surprising happens. Daniel's response is that he is stunned and alarmed. Even this dream, Daniel feels some, some, some connection to. So the king consoles Daniel, and this seems out of place, but we'll see in chapter 5 that the queen does this for a different king in a different dream, or in a different interpretation situation. So Daniel is alarmed, he gets consoled by the king, and then Daniel interprets the dream. The dream is of a tree, and the tree represents the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and that tree, by command of a holy one, is cut down. It's not only cut down, but it's cut down with a stump. And it says that the stumps are to remain in place with the roots intact. Let's continue reading in Daniel chapter 4, verse 26. This is Daniel's interpretation. As for the command to leave the tree's stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. So this tree that has grown up in the vision that gives life and shelter to all those in the in the realm, has been cut down. This is a, a prophecy that King Nebuchadnezzar, though his reign and his power has been great, there is one that's greater that comes down from heaven and takes it all away. King Nebuchadnezzar would lose his kingdom, but yet there's a promise that it will be restored. What is the condition of that promise? You see that at the end of that verse 26, that heaven, when he acknowledges that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar had been living his life in opposition to God. He had been opposed to the kingship of God. He had set himself up and expected himself to be able to do the things that only God can do. It was heaven that rules. Here um, is the only place in all of Scripture that God is referred to as heaven. There's a, there's a metaphor replacement that heaven rules, that there is one that lives outside of the realms of this earth with its temporariness and limitations, and that there is one in heaven that's above and beyond all that we have here on this earth. This is not an earthly king. This is not Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Lord Yahweh. So in light of this heavy dream, Daniel responds and gives some counsel to the king. Let's continue reading. It says, Therefore, my advice, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourselves, separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right, and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. It's pretty simple advice, right? I think that it didn't require the great wisdom of God to give this advice. Many of you might give a, a friend advice in this kind of situation that would be very similar to Daniel's. Let me summarize it for you. He says, stop sinning. 
right? Stop your sin. Stop living in opposition to God. He says, get away from it. Flee from it. Separate yourself from your sin. And don't just reject evil, but do good. Do what is right. And then he gets specific. It's not just enough for him just to be the king. He required that he be a just king. One who looks out for those in need and shows mercy as if he had a need for the mercy himself. Daniel tells him, you've lived unjustly. You've lived in opposition to the ways of the God of heaven. And he calls for a change. And if you, would, if you would repent, if you would turn from your sin and do what is right and correct those wrongs that you have committed, he says, then perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Let's continue reading. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, we're going to pause again. At the end of 12 months, we're going to see that There's a transition. There's something else that takes place one year later from this dream and its interpretation that came to the king. Twelve months. Can I I make a sidetrack and share a mini mini message within our message? In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had not only already received great mercy from God, God had lifted him up and given him the authority that he had. He'd given him all of the possessions that he, that he possessed. He'd given him all the influence that he had. And now he's given him a prophecy of the judgment to come, that his kingdom would be brought down because of his pride. And he gives him another year. An entire year. For 12 months... Nebuchadnezzar lived with the, the memory and the recollection of this, of this dream, of this vision. One of a great tree, which he probably thought of and looked with pride, but then he would remember that the Holy One would come down and the tree would be chopped down. That he would be brought to nearly nothing. For an entire year. The desire of God is that the redemption of every person would take place. That each of us would be reconciled to him. We are his children, that he's adopted by the gift of sacrificing his own son, that we might be part of his eternally perfect family. 1 Peter 3.20, I want you to hear how consistent this message is in Scripture. If you're far from the Lord, don't let it take a year. Humble yourself in response to him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, Who? In the past, were disobedient, speaking of, of the, the people of God. When God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Right? You remember the story of Noah? That God gave him a command to, to build a boat because the destruction was coming. And all the, while that he, all the while that he constructed that boat, he preached and communicated the the salvation of God to the people around him. And what happened? They rejected it. And then the flood came, and only those who had responded to the invitation of God were saved. 
1 Timothy 2, 1-7 through seven says, First of all, then I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for everyone. Listen how connected this is to our passage. For kings and all those who are in authority, so they may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is that truth? What is the message that God waits for us to respond to? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This 12-month act of mercy of God was to give Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity, a window of time to respond in humble repentance. This is, this is the desire of God for all of us. Whether we, whether we claim to be children of God or we know the distance we have from Him, He, in His mercy, gives us today so that we might restore that relationship through repentance, that we might humble ourselves and reject what is evil and do what is good. You'll see the same, the same theme. I'll finish here. We'll get back to our passage. Romans chapter 2 says, Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, God has kindness, restraint, and patience toward us. And yet we don't recognize that His kindness is intended to lead us where? To repentance. Just a couple verses later in Romans 2.8, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. So this is what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months go by and he doesn't Heed the warning of God in his vision, and he continues in his self-centered, self-seeking, prideful way of thinking and of life. And so, what happens? How does God bring him down and humble him? Let's continue reading in Daniel chapter 4. He says, At that moment... Sorry, chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar... Oh, I'm, I'm off again. I was in the right spot. Daniel 4, verse 33. Verse 33. At that moment, the message about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like a bird's claws. It says, at that moment, something was taking place. And the king went from a great majestic human king to that of an animal. If we look at the verses that lead up to it, in verse 28, verse 29. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, he looked out over all of his kingdom, And this is his proclamation. He says, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? After after seeing the vision and hearing the interpretation from Daniel that, that this tree would be cut down because of its pride, King Nebuchadnezzar makes this proclamation. Let's consider the the elements of, of this proclamation. He says, 
that he has built all that he has. He takes credit. He claims to have been the power at which his entire kingdom would come into existence. With what resources did he build this kingdom? He says that it's by his vast power. And for what purpose did he put his power into practice and to build this kingdom? He says he did it for his majestic glory. I don't think that we would have the boldness to make those kind of claims, but the actions of our lives, the way in which we respond to the truth of God and his word, oftentimes we do have that same, that same response of pride. And so, as we read, he was speaking these words. He was, he was in a moment of worship. And that worship was at the top of his palace, on the, on the roof. And he looked out, and he worshipped himself. He called out and said, look what I have done. Look what I have done by my power for my glory. And then... Immediately, he's drawn away and becomes like a beast of the earth. Imagine this, the king at the top. He has everything and he knows it. And the next minute, he's in a field with the appearance of an animal, eating the grass of the field and has lost all that he claimed to have provided for himself. Where is King Nebuchadnezzar? He's right where every one of us was. He's right where I was as I walked into the church for the first time as a, as a teenager. He's right where my brother stands right now saying, I, I, I have no power to do this in my own self. Some of you might be sitting there right where you are today going, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to do. I have no power. I have no ability to bring transformation in my life. Others of you, you look back and you remember that time when you were so lost. When, when you had nothing. You had nowhere to turn to. And Christ stepped in. The message of the gospel brought rescue. But what did that require? It required you to humble yourself. It required you to recognize that you aren't the king, but there is a king, and that king is Jesus. And so, the hope is coming. Here it comes. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. The Lord finally releases him. He has a change of mind. And watch this. The subject of his worship changes. Daniel 4, verse 34. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, look where he looked. He looked not out at his vast empire, but he looked to heaven and he said, My sanity returned to me. And then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And there is no one who can block his hand. Or say to him, what have I done? Does that sound pretty personal? This isn't some generic proclamation. This isn't some um, going through the motions of repetition of worship. This is a calling of the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Much like we saw in Jeremiah 20 verse 9 when he says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. 
So if I try to hold it back, I can't do it. The king has been humbled, and now the right and true king has been put over him. Continue reading. At that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out, and I was reestablished over my kingdom. And even more greatness came to me. In Daniel 4, 37, listen to how he closes this proclamation. If you're, if you're into underlining, this is the one to underline. This is the one to, to catch. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all of his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Can you look back on the discipline of the Lord, on the, on the difficulty of your living in sin, and testify with Nebuchadnezzar that his works are true and his ways are just? Nebuchadnezzar looked back at seven years suffering, having lost his mind, having lost his kingdom, having lost his, his, his riches and possessions, having lost his community and his family, what did he have left to be grateful for? Only his life. If, if God only gives you a breath, he is worthy to be worshipped as king. And that is how low that God had to bring and humble Nebuchadnezzar. He took him to the very, very bottom. And in the midst of all of that, when he comes out of it, he looks to God and said, his ways are just. He says, Though I've walked these seven years of suffering, he said, it was right. I deserved it. God has judged correctly. His works are true. Now let me pause and and send you back to the first verse. Don't forget the context. Who is he declaring this proclamation to? To all peoples, every nation and language. Is a testimony to the entire earth. And it's been preserved in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit that you and I would hear that same message. That whatever God has taken us through, that He is still worthy to be worshipped. And He will have no one elevate themselves above His place. If you see yourself to be, you may not call yourself a king, but if you have authority and you call the shots in your life, God says, I will humble you because I alone am the king. My majesty, my glory is only one that's worthy. So he he praises, exalts, and glorifies the king of heaven. And really, what is Nebuchadnezzar saying? He's saying, learn from me. Don't, Don't walk through what I've walked through. Though I find it to be just and worthy, let me invite you to praise and recognize God for who he is. So let me leave you with three things. Consider this as we look back on the story of Nebuchadnezzar and his humbling. Number one. Number one, tell God's story. This is is worded this way for a reason. I think oftentimes we tell our story. It's not unusual. Um, I'll I'll meet with college students, we'll train college students in sharing their testimony to, to, to give the gospel to their friends 
Oftentimes we'll have them write that testimony out. And unfortunately, many of the testimonies that they share have nothing to do with the gospel. They are testimonies of, of them. Now they point to God some, but oftentimes it is a, is a proclamation of their church experience or of the way in which they have changed or made changes in their lives. Let me tell you that if you've encountered God and you've been humbled by Him and you've followed in repentance and trusted in Jesus Christ, you are not the main character of the story. Nebuchadnezzar was intentional in the way that he proclaimed to all people, nations, and tongues that he wouldn't be the one that was remembered. It would be the God of heaven, right? He would probably have left out some of the details of his humbling. Tell God's story. Use your failures and frailties to magnify the work of the Lord in you. You have created nothing to boast over. You have possessed no measure of power by which you have created anything and you will never be worthy to receive the glory that is due to God alone. Let others tell the story. Let others tell the story of your life. Those things that need to be remembered, they'll be remembered. But let your life be a testimony of the transforming encounter that you've had with Jesus. Number two. Number one, tell God's story. Number two, boast in the Lord. If we were to give today's sermon a title, um, we don't have this in your life, so you can write this in, all right? Is boasting is required. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, boasting is required of you. Boast in the Lord. Lift up God as the hero and main character. Remain humble before the Lord. It's easy the more we tell our story and even share our story of Jesus Christ that, that we begin to think more about ourselves in that story. But make him the main character. Make him the hero of your story. When someone walks away from hearing your story, do they turn their attention towards Jesus? We see that in John chapter 4. If you remember the story of the woman at the well, she goes and testifies to her entire town. She doesn't have access in the authority, right? Like the king did to speak to all nations, people, and tongues. So she says, whoever will hear, I'll go back to my town and I'll tell them. And if you read in John chapter 4, it says, after she shares her story with them, it says, they turned and made their way towards Jesus. They, just that testimony, they, they caught interest. There was, a, there was a change of direction, and they pursued him. He's the hero. He's worthy. He's able, and he is the king. Let me jump ahead and give you a, a foresight into... Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 is about another king. A king a few generations down the line, but not many years from King Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar has a great feast, and he's living out exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had just suffered through. He is living in worship of himself. He's thrown a great feast. He's gathered thousands of his, a thousand of his people, and he's He's mocking God. He's, he's living in sin. All the while, there's a war happening outside of his walls. This king has filled himself with pride. He says, my kingdom is impenetrable. There's no one who has access to my power. And as he parties, as he lives in this sin, he becomes a hand, a severed hand with the fingers of a man that write on the wall behind a lampstand so that all can see. And it's four words, and 
you can read the story. We don't have time to, to go through the details. But it is very similar to the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. He says, you've been, you've been seen. I've, I've seen your life. I've seen your response to me. And you've been, you've been, your days have been numbered. You've been weighed and found lacking. And so your kingdom has come to an end. In Daniel 5, 22 and 23, Daniel speaks to Belshazzar and gives him the sentence. It says, but for you, his successor, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but yet you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens, and the vessels from his house were brought to you. To you, your wives, your nobles, your concubines, and you drink from them. You praise the gods made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life. Number one, tell God's story. He's the main character. Boast in the Lord. And from chapter five, let me show you the consequences if we don't. Number three, resolve to leave no doubt in the next generation's trust in Jesus. You hear stories, you hear statistics all the time about how young people, when they go to college, are leaving the faith. There are a lot of factors that influence that. But let me tell you the most significant factor to prevent it. It's that the story that you tell is God's story. And then as you tell that story... You do it with openness and transparency for the difficulties of your life and you boast in the Lord's rescue. You boast in the Lord's rescue. If you want to leave no doubt in the next generation's trust in Jesus, this is what's required. Yes, just as we stood here with Moose and Tara, as we, as we give to missions, as we go on mission to share the gospel to, to every people, nation, tribe, and language, right? That's, that's the text of Revelation 7, 9. It says, After I looked, there was a vast multitude of every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches, and then they worshipped, right? The proclamation of King Nebuchadnezzar was also aligned with the the will of God that all nations would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that comes by our going. That comes by our telling the story. We need to do that, absolutely. As your missions pastor, let me tell you, go to the nations. But don't skip your own household on the way. Don't, don't assume that your spouse has everything they need to be encouraged to follow after Jesus. Don't assume that because your children grew up in the church that they know and love Jesus in the same intimate way that you do. Tell the story. Boast in the Lord. And don't pass over your neighbor. Don't pass over your neighbor. God has sent you to the place that you're in, the workplace that you're in, that you might proclaim his glory to them. And not the way King Nebuchadnezzar did it. He did it, right? Generically, to all people, nations, tribes. Anyone who would read this, take heed, humble yourself. The Lord is king. You have to do it with your story. You have to do it face to face in a conversation across the table in real life. As we think about 
what it looks like to practically do this. There are, there are a couple studies that have come out in recent years. Um, one of those in 2018 by Lifeway says, what practices in the home matter? If, if the faith is passed on, what is, what is required? Number one, Bible reading. Seems pretty obvious, right? Um, but unfortunately, how often do we neglect this within our homes? Do you take time to read the scriptures and to, to testify and read the testify, read the testimony of people like King, King Nebuchadnezzar and the story of his life? And the second one is, is prayer and service. Do you call on God within your household? Have you shown the people closest to you what it looks like to depend on Christ? And right alongside prayer was service. Serve day. Next week, you know about this. Serve with your family. Spend time, invest time in relationship. King Nebuchadnezzar was late in his years when he finally was, was truly humbled before the Lord. And the impact that he could have on his children had all but left him. Don't wait. Don't wait another year. Don't wait another month. Don't wait another hour. Humble yourself and proclaim the story of God. Another study, a few years older, um, asked the question of high school students. In order for you to have a better life, what are, what are some things that you would desire to add? 27% said more money to buy stuff. Okay, 27%. 14% said a bigger or better house. The overwhelming majority of, the, of, those, of those series of questions at 46%, these are high school students, they said, I'd like to spend more time with my family. You can look through decades and decades of research, but you don't need it because the scriptures have instructed us from this, from the very beginning, that it is the testimony of our lives and of our stories that boast in the Lord, that pass faith to the next generation. And it's not because it's some strategy, but it's because we introduce them to the power of God in Jesus Christ. Tell your story to those around you. Deuteronomy 6, 4, verse 9 gives us this command. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today are be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them on your sign, on your, as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of the house and on your city gates. What is he saying? He's saying, tell your story. Make it clear. Leave no chance to who your life is centered around. Who reigns as king in this household? There's no question. It's been posted and lived and talked everywhere we go. Tell your story. Boast in the Lord. Resolve to leave no doubt in the next generation. Let me give you an invitation that I would encourage you to give them as well. An invitation to respond in gratitude for God's patience. We read that in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He does not delay in his promise, but his desire is that all would come to repentance. That they would turn from their sin and they would do what is right because God is the king in heaven. Separate yourself from your sin. Today, if, if you're living in unrepentant sin, 
Let me invite you to not delay. Don't wait. Don't do like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't wait a year. Don't wait a month. As we close our service today and and we have a time of invitation, come forward, kneel at the altar, grab someone and ask for prayer. Live out the commands of the scriptures in James 5 that says, if any of you is in sin, confess to one another. If any of you is is sick, seek healing and ask for prayer. If you're like I was, you're like where my brother is now, and you, and you stand here, you go, I, I'm seeking. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, how, to, how, to, how to move forward with my life. Know that the Lord is speaking, that he is king over heaven and earth, and he has the power by Jesus Christ to transform you, to give you a purpose far, far above yourself. It's an invitation to repent. It's an invitation to humble yourself, to put yourself at the feet of Jesus and call on him and say, Jesus, you're king and I am not. My sin deserves death, but I receive the gift of you that you would pay the penalty and, and die the death that I deserve, that I might have the life that you deserve. So let me invite you to, to bow your head and pray. And would you commit yourself to tell your story, to boast in the Lord, and resolve to leave no doubt in the next generation of the faithfulness and trust that can be found in Jesus Christ. You come, you talk to the Lord, and humble yourself. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, God, that you've given us today. God, even today, how many of us have have lifted ourselves up. God, we look to the things that we have in life, and God, we, we seek to take credit for it. God, we, we think that we have some measure of power or of wisdom, but God, we pause now to recognize that you are the king of heaven and earth. God, you have come, you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate us for us your heart. God, a humble servant. God, one who has, has died that we might live. So God, Speak to us. Give us boldness to respond. God, that you may be worshipped as the king that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.